Welcome to the Grip Strip Podcast, Episode 8, uh, a show that when we were preparing the uh, outline earlier on this afternoon and last night, uh, Josh and I had one uh, angle that we we're going to go with for sure to start this. And in the last couple of hours, uh, we've had to change it entirely, um, in part because of uh, recent news that has come out uh, about uh, the events that took place at Talladega Super Speedway in the garage area and uh, with Bubba Wallace. And um, I figure the start of episode eight here of the Grip Strip podcast. Uh, my name is Philip Matthew. I'm here with my co-host, Joshua Fine. And I've invited somebody, a friend, somebody who's very knowledgeable about the history of the sport he understands all the angles here um as a bubba as somebody who has uh, been a fan of bubba uh, over time and you know in general the sport uh you know you talk about the rebel flag and people who have been aggrieved uh, chuck ellison uh, the owner of safe stock car racing uh, connected with the um, North Wilkesboro deal, um, trying to bring North Wilkesboro back. A lot of different things that Chuck's been involved in over the past decade, basically. Uh, somebody who uh, I respect in terms of his knowledge and uh, understanding. Um, Chuck, uh, welcome on to the Grip Strip podcast. Thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate y'all inviting me to come on. This uh, this topic's been hot for me, and with the events that went down today, uh, it's become even hotter. It's uh, in my in my level of the ring, so to speak. Well, uh, for everybody, I mean, Chuck is definitely capable of handling any subject and any topic matter that uh, comes up with uh, NASCAR in general, but. The recent events have probably been Ric Flair level, uh, top of the card main event uh, type of stuff for Chuck, and that that suits him perfect because he's a he's a top card guy, and we've been talking about blading, and I think uh, Chuck's been ready to blade for his beliefs, and frankly, he can do it right now in 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 pride because of some of the. Uh, uh, events and uh, stuff that's come out. Um, O'Donnell and Phelps are ready to blade their wrists right now. <laughs> that's who's ready to blade, man. Well, they're 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 ready to take one right in the ass. I I wanted to start uh, basically. You know, we went and they rained out Sunday because, of course, NASCAR can't start races early, and so they rained out Sunday at Talladega. Then the news came out late in the evening basically early morning monday that there was a report of a a noose in the garage stall of bubba wallace who has um, who has been out front in recent weeks um with some of um his uh ideals and also some things that have went on in his career um also with nascar they're trying to kind of they theoretically want to maybe change. They're trying to identify a different fan base, uh, something that I think they've been trying to do since 2003, and they've been failing at. And this is yet another um, attempt. 
they found a noose in the garage stall of Bubba Walls, reported it, called in the FBI, um, made a whole thing. I mean, as a as a full disclosure, and I'm going to say this before I open it up to both Josh and to Chuck. I'm a fan of Bubble Walls. I've been a fan of Bubble Walls going back to his days in the K&N series. Um, I've read about some of the things that have happened to him. I've seen what his parents have said, and of course they're going to love their child and make sure that they protect their child. And uh, the fact that Bubba has been out front uh, in terms of some of these changes that NASCAR theoretically wants to make, on one hand, it's okay. Well, they're they it's 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 nice to see they 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 have Bubba out there because it's not like he's been able to be up front in the Cup Series due to equipment and money and all kinds of things. But at the same time, it's concerning uh, in terms of you know identity uh, and who he is and identifying the fan base or who is actually fans and it makes me concerned for him but at some in other ways you can also wonder about uh other things about the whole situation which we will discuss here and which is why i brought chuck on um basically after the fbi investigation all this stuff there was quite a, a groundswell of support and the opening ceremony was quite emotional yesterday at Talladega. Um, Richard Petty came down and was there for his guy, who he chose, which is true. He chose Bubba to drove that, drive that car at the end of 2017. And that's been the case. And no matter what their funding's been, they've been behind him and all the crap that's gone on. They've been behind him. And... There's been other things, the drivers all supporting all the hashtags and all these things and media and all that. But the report here, basically, we're a little after 8 o'clock on the East Coast. It was three hours ago. Uh, came out that there was, uh, it was a door pull rope fashion like a noose in garage stall number four which was the same garage stall used by the Wood Brothers, Paul Menard team last year. And uh, Wood Brothers uh, corroborated the story, said that that was like that, that rope was there in October. Because I think that was the first race they had with the new garage area at uh, Talladega. Um, And that rope was like that. And then there were pictures, one of the, Many different stories that went on uh, showed the picture from October of 19 to mm-hmm. when the FBI was there yesterday. Uh-huh. And they had cut the uh, rope over there. So I guess the opening uh, point, I, I, I just wanted, I want to get, I just want to get perspective here. Um, I, uh, before I go and go further, I've been talking too long. Um, uh, Josh, I know that, um, we were discussing one type of show that we were going to do here, um, a while ago, a few hours ago, 
and now this report has come out. What uh, were your initial thoughts when you first heard what had happened on Sunday night, early Monday morning, to now as we do our show here? Yeah, so I when I first saw that, uh, I didn't really like know what to think. Um, I thought I was just kind of confused about like like why that would happen, and you know, knowing that they're restricting access, um, you know, just exactly like who would do this, uh, you know, kind of act, you know, speaking in past tense, um, back then, like like who would do it, and like why would they do it, and you know, what would they have to gain by doing such a thing, you know. Um, but, you know, obviously we go through the, the course of it and we saw the act of unity and supporting Bubba Wallace. And it was, I mean, you can't say that it was a, I mean, it was a good thing to uh, see. And it was great for, you know, the sport to show the, their support behind Bubba. But now we see that the uh, incident of a noose hanging in his, his garage was false and it was merely just a, a rope on on the um, garage stall door. Uh, so now, now uh, you know, it seems like, just seems like it's a, you know, kind of a fiasco for NASCAR. And really, Bubba, you know, you know, he's he's basically being used as a pawn right now mm-hmm. for NASCAR. You know, yes. um, the kind of quote, uh, blazing saddles, you know, Bubba is a pawn in the game of uh, who can be the most anti-racist right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And yeah. and considering considering Blazing Saddles probably in most Mel Brooks movies would not be passable anymore. Um yeah. on that on that note, um that was a great transition there, Josh. Um Chuck, I know you've been busy here. I saw the end of your um video a few hours ago, so um, yeah. I'll let you um speak to um this and then I'm going to follow up with a question and then you can kind of go on based on that on the next part. Well, let, let me start by saying that I've got a very different perspective than most people on this because uh, I started out this sport uh, in, in this sport as a very longtime fan who, you know, got angry and mad at the state of the sport. So I decided to investigate and figure out why things were the way they were. And I've noticed over time that there's a lot of connections between NASCAR and professional wrestling, not only that they start in the South and that they're very connected to the, uh, to the redneck culture, but also in the way some of the things blend in over from entertainment and politics and various things in storylines and media and all that kind of stuff. And so the first thing with this deal that, that, strikes me is is it it's blending the lines blurring the line between reality and entertainment it's blurring it's doing what they call a work shoot like they're taking elements of what's going on in this country and the racial tension that's going on right now which that's a whole nother debate i, I you know i could go on about that for an hour but <laughs> which i think some of it is misguided but with the way it is, they're they're trying to latch on to this. And I don't understand if it's really for Bubba or if it's because they have what some people would call white guilt and they feel bad for what the sport has done to black people through the years. 
or if they feel ashamed of the Southern heritage of the sport, um, it's, it's really hard to say. So I, I don't know. Um, I don't know what their reasoning is behind making a media fiasco out of this because uh, racism for the most part, at least in my experience, and I live, I'm from the South, racism is a dying thing in the South. Contrary to what the media tells you, contrary to what is portrayed on TV, uh, it's a dying aesthetic in the South. And there's um, a lot of misunderstanding about the South. And for me, that's what bothered me about NASCAR getting on this train and it bothered me even worse when Bubba got out there and brought the Confederate flag into it completely out of left field. And we all know that NASCAR has been trying to get rid of that flag since what, 2015 or so when Brian France. Yeah, BZF started that one of your buddies. Okay. Well, you know, me and his heat is very well documented. Me and O'Donnell got heat. Me and BZF got heat. Me and Dave Moody got heat. Um, <laughs> Phelps and me ain't got heat yet, but I'd like to get heat with that guy. I can't stand him. Uh, anyway. Well, if you point, keep on coming on the show and you keep on listing people, then we're going to have to start booking. And then I'm going to be where Josh and I are going to be your managers. So <laughs> just just save save all that energy. You got to save right, all so, that energy. This is only okay. the first episode that you're going to be on. So let's, uh, so um, I, I know you got heat with a lot of people. So uh, with you were going on about, about the, 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 the Confederate flag, the rebel flag, because there is a distinction here. There is a distinction here between what, you know, the, the, the flag that they say, oh, the Confederate flag versus what, which is like the rebel, which is a rebel. There's two different flags, right? So well, you're okay. Here, here's your here's your history on this. Okay, yes, the Confederate flag and the rebel flag are two different things. There's the stars and bars, and then there's the actual uh, battle flag of Virginia, which is what everybody is protesting. Okay, um, it was flown in the Civil War by the Confederates. It was used because it was more distinct than the stars and bars because it often got confused with old glory and we would end up uh, shooting each other and vice versa. So um, basically what this all centers around and the reason that they're drawing heat with a lot of NASCAR fans, especially the core fan is because, you know, we all know NASCAR is a Southern sport. It was born in the South. It was bred in the South. It started with moonshining and, it's always had an outlaw image and they're drawing a lot of heat from the true fans, from the people that really have built this sport because there's a, um, a whole litany of reasons, but for one thing, it's hypocritical uh, for NASCAR to call that, you know, to say anybody's racist or anything is racist when they actually discriminated against Wendell Scott and hid the fact that he won a race because he was a black man. So that's the first shot over the bow that I need to make. And then the second part of it is, is, you know, 
you shouldn't speak on something that you're not directly connected to, okay? There's a lot of people that like to point at that flag and say that flag's racist or that flag hurts my feelings. But, you know, they always say facts don't care about your feelings. Well, <laughs> there's, there's something that they don't understand. And that's this, that symbols change over time. And granted, I know everybody's been taught that that the lost cause is fiction and that the war was over slavery. And whether that's true or not, that's really all kind of irrelevant when it comes to the fact that people nowadays in the South don't connect that flag with racism, period. Uh, I'm sure there's a small percentage, uh, 2-3% max, that may have racist connotation to that flag. But to make that flag, to take my flag that to me represents the South and my Southern heritage and decry it as a racist symbol is biased at best. It's biased. It's not telling the other side of the story. And, you know, I wish somebody would sit down with Bubba that feels like me and have a discussion with him about it and see if he even has the understanding. Because when he came out on CNN and said that, I was shocked. I was like, okay, dude, I was all in your corner with Black Lives Matter and I was all in your corner with the police need to be, you know, slowed down and they shouldn't be treating people this way no matter what color they are. And I was all for that, man. I, I'm an outlaw. I got big problems with the cops. But when you go and bring my flag into it, then you lost me as an ally. You lost me because it's not racist, plain and simple. For somebody that's flown it my whole life, the flag is not racist. Kiss my ass. Anybody that thinks it is, not a racist flag. That's all I can say about the flag, man. <laughs> well, that's that's part of the reason why I wanted to have you on. Uh, because for me, I know, Josh, you're in Florida. You're, you probably have more experience or you've been around. You've been around it more. I'm a Northeast guy. Um, I'm being, I've been a couple. I've been a fan of NASCAR and a fan of racing for most of my life. And I, the more that I read and the more I observe and learn, I'm always open to that. Even at this point, 28 years in to, to being a fan. Um, but that's something, the discussion that, that Chuck and I had and what he just said now was, um, was, was education for me and I get the perspective and it's something that okay it, it it's completely valid there's a com, there's a understanding and a belief and it's true and there's it's it's a symbol and that the 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 point you make about symbols Chuck is where is really uh, a great uh, point that you made earlier and now let, let, me, let me throw that back out there real quick because I forgot to mention that. I've been told so many times by these left-wingers, they like to throw that thing in. Well, you wouldn't celebrate Nazi things. You wouldn't put yep. statues up. You wouldn't fly the swastika. Well, guess what? The swastika was originally a Hindu symbol, okay? And I believe it means peace or love. I don't know. I'm not Hindu, but... Um, it, it, it holds reverence to Hindu people. 
So to say that about the swastika or about the Confederate flag, it's all in the person flying it. It's not in what they perceive the history of it to be, which, you know, I could go on a whole nother thing about that because what taught in the South about the Civil War and what they teach up in the northern states is completely different. So, yeah, and that's and that's the thing where. You know, we it's one of the points that we're going to discuss here, and I, I think it's a big one. Uh, we've went over it's there's th- this next point, I think, is big uh, because it goes into your reporting, Chuck. It also goes into what like Josh and I kind of discuss and we've all been in similar channels and have had conversations uh, it it goes into the credibility of the people that are in what I call the DBM, the Daytona Beach Mafia. Uh, mm-hmm. They uh, have a narrative and they're trying to sell certain things and they think that using uh, certain drivers to advance a, a you know a, an idea might be better it's it's like what you'd said earlier chuck about you know bzf wanting to get rid of the the rebel confederate flag at races and now all now with the the police brutality stuff and african americans uh, being uh, what's happening there then they go and bring Bubba out, and he's like, "Well, I've felt uncomfortable with the the rebel flag." Well, you know, after the discussion did he, did we had, did he really? Though? Did yeah, he really? That's, that's what I'm trying. That's the thing. It's like it kind yeah. of fits a pattern here. Where is this really? Are they using uh, Bubba? And I think this kind of we can combine both of these here. I'm going to place it like this. I'm going to start this off. The fact is NASCAR has had a credibility issue with me as a 28-year fan for a long effing time. And they they are not great with diversity. They are not great in terms of drivers. I mean, with pit crew people, yeah, they've had some higher-up people. It's debatable with that. But... It's- it's, but yeah, but, but I'm gonna get hey, Chuck, Chuck. Chuck, I'll get to you, man. You're all uh, you got your time, man. Um, the the thing with with their credibility, and they I've always said two things about them. Uh, there's two hashtags I always use about NASCAR: uh, consistently inconsistent and selective enforcement. They'll 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 try to put Car Long out of business for a motor that was way too old, and they said it was big. But Mr. The King had the same thing in the 83 500-miler at Charlotte, and they swept it under the rug, but it basically ended Petty Enterprises at that point because it's Mr. The King, and he got win 198 out of that deal. Or Hendrick Motorsports or Joe Gibbs or whatever can get away with the same thing. Um, they'll use people that are of color 
to go and advance a point because they are not comfortable with going and and trying to alienate what the sport is about in a in a sense because the fact is I've been to races I've I've been to races for 23 20 over 20 years I've went there been I've had tons of fun I I if it wasn't for the for the the beer flowing or just being at a race and just being so happy to be out and having fun, I'm probably sure I would. It's likely that I wouldn't have been talking to anybody. I but I walk up to people. Hey, you want to have a beer? Let's go have a beer. Let's go have some fun. Let's go and bulldog a beer. That's you're just ha- you're just talking to people. They may be wearing a shirt of freaking Jimmy Johnson or Kyle Busch, but I'll walk up to them to have a beer. Let's have some fun. Let's talk. We're having fun. We're at a race. That's what this is supposed to be about, and it's a greater discussion about, you know, whether that like people probably want to look at me weird because I'm a brown guy at a NASCAR race, but they're like, I'm talking to them, I'm having fun, I'm getting loaded. We're all here. We're all here for the same thing: to have some fun, watch some racing. That's what this is supposed to be about, and fundamentally. We're getting away from what's supposed to be on what we're supposed to be talking about, which is the racing, which we will discuss on this program here later on, uh, the races that took place this weekend at Talladega. But, I, uh, Josh, I want to throw to you. You've been uh, uh, waiting a while. I mean, I look at the, the, these two these two things. You know, we talk about the the credibility of NASCAR and some of the decisions, some of the things they've done. And then I also look at, you know, what they're doing and what they may be doing uh, with Bubba. And then I'll let, I mean, Chuck was already chomping at the bit, so I'm going to let you cool down there and then you'll be ready to go. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, just just in its racing alone, We've seen selective enforcement and inconsistently or, you know, consistently, inconsistently applying the rules. Just in that alone, they have a credibility. So, you know, if they have a issue with credibility there, then they're going to have issues with credibility elsewhere. And, you know, one thing I want to talk about was, you know, going back to the CNN interview on Don Lemon with uh, Bubba Wallace when he called for the end of the uh, for the Confederate flag to be banned. You know, he said the way some of the ways that he said um, his piece there, it you know, it sounded like to me that even Bubba wasn't like uh, well educated or or well versed in some of the you know the issues uh, with um, the Confederate Confederate flag. You know, he said like to him like if I I don't want to misquote, but you know, it sounded like it really wasn't a big issue until recently for him and then you know he went and said to ban the flag and you know going back to the credibility thing is i mean who knows the to say like i mean like i'm pretty sure nascar probably gave him some talking points and that was probably one of the the talking points that they gave him and that's not to discredit him and what he's pushing for as a whole because you know that's something that's um you know he was you know if you kind of look at his backstory uh that's and you look at the pin tweet that he has on his profile is that you know you're never going to forget that he's the the one african-american right now in nascar and then you're not going to forget that for a long time 
but you know, it just goes to show is that you know I think I really think here is um, NASCAR is really trying hard uh, to cash in on this you know woke anti-racism movement, and you know this whole thing is just blown up in their faces. Yeah, I I totally agree, and I and I also think that using a guy in in uh, Darrell Wallace Jr. Bubba Wallace, who for all intents and purposes for the last however many years has just been trying to make it uh, in part on his talent. And for people who want to question his talent, you can go fuck yourself. Um, He has talent. He has won in multiple levels in the sport. He's won more races than people that are parroted on Reddit or Facebook or Twitter or whatever that people talk about as such great race car drivers. Um, he kind of set the table there at get at uh, Kyle Busch Motorsports with Jerry Baxter to make them into the kind of championship effort for some of their younger drivers because he was the first guy that competed for a championship for that organization in uh, 2014. And so he can win races. He didn't just get into a freaking cup car because of being black. I, when you consider who hired him and Mr. The King and how people talk about Mr. The King at times, he wanted bubble walls. It wasn't just because of his skin color. He knows a guy can drive. He knows he's, he's a, he's a, a, a guy who has a, has, has talent. He has a passion. He has a personality and uh, there's, you would think that he would be able to get money, uh, get sponsorship. But I look at, in a lot of ways, I look at Bubba in the same way as Willie T. Ribs in the 80s. And they were addressed or seen differently. And they, but the difference between Willie T. and Bubba is that Bill, Bubba's playing is willing in maybe playing a role here, um, which could be to his detriment. And I'm afraid of that. Um, Chuck, I, you were, you were chomping at the bit. I apologize earlier. I, I just wanted to be able to get my couple of points across. Cause I know you're, uh, you have a lot to say. So um, com- combining the credibility of NASCAR and um, what Bubba's part, um, you know, in terms of what happened or what was shown and what he's gone through in the one end, but then what the pro- the promotion and how they're using him as a prop to kind of maybe move some of their ideals. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm going to keep it pretty short. I mean, I it's it's just like a lot of the allegations that I have you made through the years about possibly there being race fixes and things like that. The biggest mistake people make when they look at these situations is they assume that the driver has to be involved. I, I don't think that Bubba really is cognizant of the fact that he could be being played. He could be being used for a bigger, you know, uh, a bigger, uh, a small cog in a big machine, so to speak, and that he doesn't really know where that machine's going. All he knows is 
you know, they're telling him this is good for his career. They're telling him, you know, it's going to get him sponsorship. It's going to make you a hero to the black community. It's going to, you know, you're going to be remembered as a legend that helped integrate NASCAR. And all that may be true. And all that is our great, uh, great ideas and great things that I believe Bubba should be a part of. But doing it inorganically and doing it in such a scripted manner, uh, like that post race yesterday, that interview that made me cringe because that was clearly pre-planned and scripted and it looked like a WWE promo. It was terrible. And, uh, it made me cringe. Like, I'm like, this is embarrassing. It's embarrassing for all the black drivers that are in the lower levels trying to work their way up. It's embarrassing for, uh, the sport to try to pander so hard and lose all its uh, authenticity for for what they tried to do yesterday with putting him against the fence and uh, people that had clearly never been to a race and clearly didn't they just looked so out of place they didn't they didn't look like the real fans they looked like actors that's what I saw but. That's my opinion. Other people might have yeah. saw that differently. Yeah, I mean, uh, the, when we look at what happened yesterday in general, uh, I, the opening ceremony for whichever end you want to come at it, there was something about that There was moving. Um, it was something to see Richard Petty there because he's the king of NASCAR. He's won 200 races. He's the owner of, he's the face of the team. He's not the owner of the team anymore, really. But he chose Bubba Wallace and he was there for him. Now, the fact that all this has come out and what it is, I don't think that's changed. What It comes back to the story of, and this is going to get to the next point here. I think, what NASCAR is trying to do is going to go and they're trying to kick out and not, not old, not only old school fans, you know, like myself, they're trying to get rid of fans who understand the, in yourself, Chuck, you know, you're trying to kick out people who understand where the sport started and at the same time, they are pandering to who? That's that's the that's where it's it's a thing, especially now in what in our society and how effed up our society is. You're trying to pander to a small group of people. How do you? you better have some great PR and you better have some great analytics to think that this is going to work out well for you to act like going in and, and uh, manipulating or going in and basically torching a segment of your fan base is going to be a good thing. It's not a good thing because the fact is they've been torching ever since 2003, they've been torching old school fans and it's sad in a way that, you know, for myself that I still care about this sport when you consider the kind of things they've done towards fans that care about this sport. But now 
now you're just getting into in a trying to make it into some sort of race baiting kind of mm-hmm. bullshit thing when you already have bullshit IROC cars. You mm-hmm. know, there, there's there's I mean, come on. I mean, for yeah. for, for fuck's yeah. sake, we just want to go and watch racing. I mean, that's that's what this is supposed to be hey, about. Chuck's poking me here. Yeah. I, I I understand exactly what you mean, man, and I agree with all that. But I want Josh because the reason, Josh, I think that the reason you need to speak on this is because you're in that younger age demographic, and you know I'm 33 years old. I'm a little bit more of an old school fan. Um, at this point, I'm getting older. Um, but you know the social justice movement and all the things that are really poking this. You can speak from being in college recently and everything you've seen. Um, how big, number one, is that demographic? And number two, do you think this is a worthy thing for them to try to get involved in? So the social – I mean, for me, like, yeah, I mean, there's there's definitely, like, social justice because, like, I mean, I was an engineering guy, and, you know, like, we don't really care about that shit really, you know, but – and that's, like, the circle that I was in. But there's definitely a lot of that there. Uh, you know, I, I I don't know exactly how big or how small it is, but I, I don't think it's that significant of of a, a demographic to really tap into, to to be quite honest. Uh, you know, the I mean, it's and on one hand, yes, like the younger generation is, you know, coming up, and you know, that's who we need to get people to care about. Uh, the sport, but you know, at the end of the day, what I, from what I've seen um, is it seems more of like they're you know they they like things on on Twitter and they'll say good job NASCAR and all that, but they're not really gonna you know once they may see Talladega and see how wild of a finish that was or wild of a race that was, but you know in six months from now they're not really gonna care uh, that much. Uh, they'll probably go back to doing whatever you know and uh whatever else they think is is cool and all and you know it'll just be something that they see every now and then so it's it's um it's not i don't know it's not really a good move to to try to go for that social justice angle really and what i've always thought is make make racing cool because it's racing not not because you know we're Mm -hmm. we're trying to um spook or you know stoop to the you know, diversity movement and all that. It should be by by its own nature. It should be be diverse, and they shouldn't be trying to inor- inorganically um, make it diverse. Yeah. Yeah. I'm... Go ahead, Phil. Sorry. No, no. Go ahead. You wanted to say something. I was just gonna say. I was just gonna say. I agree with that, T. Totally. And I made the point on Twitter the other day, or maybe it was on Facebook. I don't recall, but. Uh, that, you know, I think a lot of this that they're trying to do, they could achieve with better marketing and with, with understanding who they're marketing to. And I think they can have all this that they want. They can have these, they can have minorities more involved in the sport and they can have everything. They can have the best of both worlds and everybody would get along fine if they just knew what the hell they were doing. Uh, anyway, go ahead, Philip. Yeah. And, and that, that gets back to what, uh, I felt for a long time too, you know, when, when you consider me, I mean, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'm an Indian guy 
uh, not Indian, like American Indian, like from my family's from India. I somehow or another, I love cars. And at seven years old or whatever, I saw the Daytona 500 and I saw Davy Allison and I loved the, how that car looked. And from that moment on, I've been hooked and it's been this freaking it's been in my veins ever since. Nobody, nobody made me a fan or whatever. I just became a fan and I've been this whole time and I'll wear a Davy Allison shirt. I'll wear a Richard Petty shirt. I'll be, I love the history of this deal. I am a mark for the Alabama gang because of Davy and because of Bobby Allison and all of them. And I, I look at the sport where it was then and it wasn't, it, nobody knew or nobody cared and it was more organic and now it's forced and it goes back to one of the many points you made Chuck in terms of it being like wrestling. It's been a lot like wrestling for a long time. Um, and maybe that's why I stopped watching wrestling because NASCAR is wrestling. Um, <laughs> and it's in, it's a thing where I, I watched it because I wanted to watch these guys going hard, you know, doing a little rubbing, a little banging and have some good racing. I wasn't here for engineering science. I watched formula one and sports cars in, in some cases, IndyCar for that. I'm not watching that in NASCAR. I want to watch people beat and bang. I want to watch people punching one another. Mm-hmm. I want to go and 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 have some fun. And fundamentally, they have missed the. They are missing the boat. They. It's a, It's the 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 ironic thing is for all the education, all the people that are out there in this pandemic that have the talent, including myself, to go and promote and to go and talk about what's good with this sport, Mm -hmm. they pander and they don't know, they pander to a base that they don't even know how to pander to and they don't know how to pander what, they don't know how to promote what's good. And And that's... When they play rap music on NBC and Fox, it's always the worst rap music that you could possibly find. They don't even know what a good lyricist is. Like we, we, that's what's killing me. They want to, they want to, they want to bring in minorities in the hip hop culture and all that, but they don't even know how to do it. They don't, they're not up on to date on what's popular. They don't, they just, they just, who, where are they getting their marketing people from? Like, it's, it's a, it's a fundamental problem because I love IndyCar racing too. It's a fundamental problem in the IndyCar series. The Formula One is owned by an American company and they're trying to make an, an inroads here. And they've had two U.S. Grand Prix for many years and then they only have one and it's entirely likely right now they have zero based on where Coda is. But I think it leads to this last point that um, I'll I'll start I'll let um, I'll let uh, Josh go and then uh, Chuck you can go and say your piece because I know you got a lot on this last point. Um, I, I fundamentally, you know, we talk about credibility. We talk about 
people who have been aggrieved, the Red Vots, the Raymond Parks, the you, I mean, Chuck, you've been a big rep for Jeremy Mayfield. Um, I rep Jeremy Mayfield in a sense that in a couple of ways, one with Ray Everham and two because um, Jeremy Mayfield's wife's hot. But um, the the <laughs> fact that... All right. That... Um, you know, like, well, yeah, I mean, yeah, but the the fact that, you know, we 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 agree in in terms of some a lot of these people have been aggrieved. I, I'm a Carl Long. I'm a fan of M, MBM and Carl Long in a lot of ways because of what happened to him uh, 12 years ago. And once the Cup Series couldn't fill fields anymore. And Carl Long had a certified chassis and a body. They're like, hey, uh, can you come back and start uh, uh, showing up and, and, and we'll pay you whatever here to go and make up the numbers? And all of a sudden, um, Carl Long all of a sudden is back in the Cup Series. And one, I have a friend of mine that works for his team. So it's like, Hey, what the hell are you trying to do here? Shout um, out to my boys at Bead Burks who sponsored Carl Long. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Sebastian, who uh, works on the team, uh, he got the, he got suspended at Daytona uh, on the Xfinity car that ended up finishing third with Timmy Hill with a small package. He, I didn't say that. He said that on the the door bumper clear podcast, but I, I, I'm a Timmy Hill fan anyway. Um, he, he got the, he took the fall on the, that car and they finished third in that 300 miler behind that daddy's money MF or, um, Noah Gregson, but it's a credit. It, it goes back to everything we've talked about for this hour. They're making, it's an identity crisis. They don't know who they want to pander to. They don't know who they want as fans. And it's managed by people like Steve Phelps, who is not a racing person, and uh, Steve O'Donnell and uh, other people that uh, Chuck wants to have um, feuds with that um, as we keep this Grip Strip podcast going, we'll just keep building up on them. But for the uh, basis of uh, this show... Um, I like uh, his views on Steve O'Donnell, but first I'm going to go to my co-host, uh, Josh. What are, in the end, what the hell is NASCAR going to do here as they go to Pocono um, in terms of PR? And how do you manage this, this situation? And what, what the hell can you say? Well, I mean, I saw some points on Twitter that, um, kind of would to I guess resolve this is you know they've got a you know they they came w- with a lot of energy denouncing uh, the supposed act that ended up not being a thing you know and they what they need to do is come out with the same energy and apologize that's that's what they should should be doing and it, it's um, I doubt that they'll do that they'll they'll just say like. And in fact, they've already doubled down on it too. They said that they would treat it the same way as they would before. And 
that's I don't agree with that. You know, and if anything, what they should be doing is saying, "All right, we're not going to go to the media to the media with this uh, until we find out that this is legitimate." Because if they didn't report this to the news, then then this wouldn't have been a thing. It wouldn't have been a thing at all. Like they could have just. I mean, I guess they would have had to tell told Bubba, and Bubba could have gone with it if he had wanted to. But NASCAR announced this first. And then it got uh, to all the major news outlets, and then we saw um, Bubba put out his post, and we saw shout-outs from uh, different athletes around sports like LeBron James and so on and so forth and all those guys. But they, you know, if this happens, uh, something like this happens again, you know, they're basically going to have to um, verify that it's true before they come out with it. Because they, you know, again, they basically destroyed their credibility here. If they had any credibility in the first place, but um, I'm gonna I'm gonna leave this last point because I'm gonna let Prime Time. He's been busy. Uh, he's had a nice few hours, and God bless and to your child and to yourself and to your family, Chuck. And thank you for the time. I'm gonna let you have. The last word, uh, do your best Ric Flair or Dusty <laughs> Rhodes or whoever your guy was and just go off. Well, you know what, Philip? Mean Philip, let me tell you what, brother. Here it is. All right. First off, thank you guys for having me on the show. I appreciate that immensely. Um, O'Donnell and me been going at it for a long time. It all started back when I started my blog, and he was one of the first people to comment on my first series of blogs. And from that moment forward, I knew we had a pandering asshole <laughs> on our hands. And so the thing about O'Donnell and the thing about this whole flap that's been going down, man, is that he came out there on Friday, and he was going at it with all the people on Twitter about the flag and he was going on a block spree about the flag. And I know a bunch of people that said that they got blocked by him over arguing with him about it. So the, the big thing that makes me mad about O'Donnell is he'll, he'll get on there on Twitter and he'll look down at you from his high horse. But when the fans flew that banner over Talladega that said defund NASCAR, and they got one up on him, and he couldn't take it. And he got on Twitter and called us all a bunch of jackasses. And then when this happens and he looks like the jackass, he's suddenly silent. What's the matter, Big Chin? You ain't got nothing else to say? Don't sing it. Bring it. You know? He's, he, he, he's amazing, dude. He's the biggest pile of hypocrisy they got, and they should fire him. That's all I got to say, man. I agree. They should fire him. Yeah. Somebody has to take the fall for uh, how this is all gone. And I, and I, and fundamentally as a Bubba fan, wherever, I don't know, there's more investigating, there's more what's going on. I'm looking at this. I'm going to look at this as a fan. I'll be, I'll take, I'll take the bias hit and I'll look at this as a fan. Unless he's going to get money from from LeBron James or Magic Johnson or very pro prolific uh, people in the African-American community, 
or like when you look at you know brands like that instead of the Jordan brand being on cocaine Hamlin go and support Bubba at the end I of agree. The day. you know that makes more effing sense you're going to sell more Jordans with freaking bubble walls and you're going to ever sell with fucking Denny Hamlin I, I mean I in and I mean it's not just cuz I don't like Denny Hamlin it's literally just facts but you know if if Bubba was driving JTG Doherty it it wouldn't make much of a difference but at least he'd have somebody in his corner that's understood in a sense but here's the thing Brad Doherty wore wore the number 43 why because his ear was fucking Richard Petty you know like it's a thing you know you had the guys like Larry Nance and there was one other basketball player ended up driving pro stock I think uh, Hammonds, Tom Hammonds, uh, former forward for the Denver Nuggets. They both drove, but and it, and it goes back to a post I I made yesterday, um, where it's we we look at diversity and we look at how you know like woke culture or whatever, NHRA whether you want to whatever you want to think about with NHRA, the NHRA is diverse because. Whether it's a person of color, whether it's a woman, they're able or whoever, you know, white guy, whatever, you're able to compete. There, nobody says anything about what the who's stepping on the loud pedal. And you've had plenty of women win championships and a lot of races. You've had people of color win a lot of championships and races. Mm-hmm. You don't have any problem there. And they haven't had any problem for decades there. So here's here's the here's the freaking education. NASCAR ain't listening to my our damn show. They probably should. But we'll tag you. I I it would be something if if we can. I I'm waiting for that on on Podbean and on Apple. A podcast so I can go and see the analytics if NASCAR really was listening to it then this thing should fucking skyrocket I'm waiting for that um, Josh <laughs> and I would definitely appreciate it but fundamentally when you have the likes of Antron Brown when you have the likes of Michael Phillips and you know when you have those ba- Larry Nance Tom Hammond and then you consider you consider Shirley Muldowney, Bunny Burkett, uh, Shur- uh, Shelly Anderson. Um, I'm forgetting the other girl, the, the one she did back in the 90s. But um, you look at you look at the Force Girls. You look at Eric Anders. You and, and all all these women that win and they win titles. And then you look at NASCAR, and they don't. They have a problem, and they've had a problem for a long time. There was a post I saw on Twitter where they talk about the quality of rides for the the D for D guys being, you know, Bubba, and then Suarez, who had top line, theoretically top line equipment. We could question how good it really was at Gibbs. Um, and definitely at Stuart Haas, he didn't get a fair shake in part because Gene Haas is an idiot. Um, but Sergio Pena never got a shot 
and then guys that were in that same year all are in much better rides. They have a fundamental problem here, and going and trying to change rules about a flag uh, or trying to denounce certain things by not fixing other things and just ignoring those other things, trying to sweep one thing under the rug to go and try to fix another thing or vice versa, you're, you're, you're not solving anything. And, and that's the, the key deal here. Your, this incident and this situation is like 101 in how not to handle things in PR. And I'm not a professional PR person, but it doesn't take a freaking rocket scientist to go and, and, and consider what the heck was going on. Uh, and, and I am truly, um, I was ashamed to be a NASCAR fan when I read the whole news thing. Then I was proud to see what they did uh, yesterday afternoon. And I, you know, Mr. The King is a hero. And I look up to him, and it's not just because of his driving ability or whatever, all these different things, or him being on freaking cars. Him and him and Miss Linda were on cars together. You know, it's there is something there's just something beautiful about that. It shows how much he loves his driver. But the way NASCAR handled this was a complete clusterfuck, and. The fact that they are trying to alienate fans to accelerate some ideal or, or to be woke doesn't understand where really we need to be. Uh, they're, they're, the discussions that have to be had, like Chuck said and what Josh said, we need to have greater discussion, but it takes time. And we're not going to solve those problems in a week or a day or in an hour, a minute, day, whatever. Like, it takes time. You can have your rebel flag. You can have your Confederate flag. You're not trying to bring out weapons. You're not trying to go and blow off anybody's head. You're not trying to go and say anything in a bad way Mm -hmm. we're all here because we all love this sport so if we can all be here to be to love this sport then we can all have this can we can have a discussion you know as adults and and truly bring this sport together. I mean, albeit, I don't think it's ever going to be, um, pre 2001 anymore. Uh, we've definitely lost, um, any semblance of that in many ways, not only the fans because of people who passed away, um, the sponsorship, uh, the way the sport was able to be shown, um, the past, in terms of the announcing, all those things are gone. But we, as you know, being in our 30s, uh, both Chuck and I, 
I'm old, a little older than Chuck, but the fact of the matter is being an old soul isn't a bad thing. And, and loving the sport isn't a bad thing. And you can, uh, you can have whatever feelings or whatever thoughts and you can go and express them in a way where it ain't hateful. And, um, that's, there, there has to be, um, a greater discussion. You have to have people that have greater, have comments there. There's people, people don't have no common sense anymore. And that's why our society is the way it is. Um, uh, Chuck, you wanted to say something? Oh yeah. I just wanted to buzz in and say that, uh, I just think that, you know, uh, brotherly love is important, man. And everybody should have brotherly love for each other, no matter what race, creed or color. And uh, wouldn't we have thought that NASCAR would go more the towards the PG-13 route instead of going to this whatever watered-down thing we have now is? I mean, wouldn't you have thought that 20 years ago that we would see it get more hardcore and more, uh, what do you call it, rough-edged instead of going the opposite way? Could anybody have predicted that NASCAR would go this route 20 years ago? Well, BZF wanted it this way, so I hope yeah. the door. The, I hope the doors is uh, is extra warm for that MFR, and that his liver shot because this isn't the sport I signed up for, um, and I don't think that some of the people that are involved in this sport really signed up for it either. Um, and that's it's it's fundamental and it's a problem for sure uh chuck i want to thank you man i know that um you've been busy and you have a lot of uh messages to respond to uh before i let you go um just let us know your social media handles and the sscr and all that just go and let us know how we can go and find you all right real quick uh the Facebook page is Save Stock Car Racing, and the Twitter is at Primetime Chuck, and the Instagram is also at Primetime Chuck. It is private, but I usually accept people. Um, and um, yeah, Josh is a contributor on Save Stock Car Racing occasionally, very very rarely, but occasionally. Uh, he's very busy. Um, <laughs> yes, but. Um, but yeah, we we've all known each other a long time, and um, we're we're part of a community and what I like to call the uh, the anti BS movement. Like we don't we don't subscribe to the mass media. We we look at all angles and form our own opinions. And I'm proud to call you guys friends. And uh, thank you guys for having me on the show. I was glad to have you on. Thanks, Chuck, for your time. I know you know. You got a child. You're not trying to be on going and dealing with this kind of thing, but it kind of is in your wheelhouse. And quite frankly, I like his Ric Flair. So um, it's <laughs> well, always. I'm sorry if I hogged the mic tonight. Uh, it's a no, it's bad good. habit. Well, always understand you have a open invite. If you want to come on here on the GSP, uh, you have a forum. So. Just uh, I will say this and we can go and do it because we're all we can ball bust each other. Once you want to talk about something, just go and post it on the chat. 
then I'll go and call on you. That's all I ask. Other <laughs> all than right. that, you're all you're all good. Uh, all thanks, right. Chuck, for your time. And uh, we will um, be posting this. Chuck will be posting this on uh, his socials. It's first hour. So for anyone that wants to go and listen to this whole discussion, everything we had, and just strictly wants to listen to that and wants to listen to Chuck because he's a beast, first hour of the show, good to go. And then, and then uh, after that, we're going to get into the next parts of the show. We'll also discuss... We're going to be discussing Formula One here, part two of our uh, Formula One preview. And then we'll talk about Talladega racing and we'll talk about Pocono, which is going to be a very busy uh, weekend here at uh, close to my my neck of woods here at uh, in New Jersey at Pocono Raceway in Pennsylvania, who just recently opened up to be able to run those races. So um, thank you, Chuck um again for your time and uh yeah we'll go and transition over to the formula one side uh part two we went over the back four teams ended with racing point uh it'll be the aston martin f1 team because lauren stroll owns aston martin because he's a rich mfer um the first team we were going to talk about is the team that finished sixth in uh, the Formula One uh, Constructors Championship was Alpha Tori. Um, Josh, uh, I, I posted this. It's like when you look at the two drivers, you look at the Kvyat, Danny Kvyat, and um, the I'm trying to remember here. Uh, uh. Kvyat and uh, yeah, I can't remember his name either. Yeah, um, when you look at the drivers there, they're both guys that ended up uh, getting kicked out of the main team. So uh, and Pierre Gasly, so they both got kicked out of the main team. Pierre Gasly got replaced by um, oh, I. Um, it's great. I'm forgetting everything. It's good to like I'm. We were talking about NASCAR. I'm just forgetting everything. Um, <laughs> yeah, you go. Alex Albon. Yeah, so he was replaced by Alex Albon, and now he's in there. So the question is, they remade themselves based on some genes that Red Bull and uh, Dietrich Matisic uh, are doing. So, but my question is, what do, what should we expect from uh, AlphaTauri here in 2020? Uh, can they make that move up to number four in the Constructors World Championship? I mean, I think they certainly can uh, if and I think that's up to the drivers. Well, I mean, Kvyat is, you know, he's kind of bounced around uh, uh, with Formula One, and and he's been on, uh, well, I think, yeah, he was on Red Bull originally, and then, or he was on 
uh, AlphaTauri, formerly Toro Rosso. Then he went to Red Bull, or he got promoted up to Red Bull, and then he was he wasn't doing as good. And then they downgraded him back, and he bounced for, around. For stopping. Yeah, for yeah. expert stopping and all that. And you know he hasn't really uh, had a, a great career. I mean, certainly he's talented, and you know he's kind of on the same vein as uh, Roman Grosjean with you know being super reckless and not you know just not uh, driving smart at least that's what i've kind of gotten from him so i i'm curious to see like i mean i guess it's there uh certainly you know they have the honda power and they have the support that kind of trickles down from red bull and all that but i'm curious to see like if you know maybe maybe if he uh puts it together they can finish high but i'm not sure and gasly he might be a good driver too but again um we'll see how he does uh and if you know he can just i mean i generally say like as long as you drive smart and you don't make many mistakes and you take care of your stuff you you'll be fine uh but we'll see with how that goes and and certainly um how how much uh alpha tory red bull whatever can uh put into their cars yeah, I mean, when you consider that the rules that they're going to have here in 2020 and will will transition into 21, and they will not have a whole lot of uh, major changes uh, with the the internal combustion engine, a lot of, a lot of the the base parts are going to be the same. Uh, the if this team is able to make a move forward. Uh, this is going to go on. This is going to last for a year and a half uh, for this team, which originally was minority. Um, they to be that far up in the world championship, the constructors championship would be a big deal. Both drivers got a runner up finish last year. Of course, Kvyat after uh, him and his wife, they had their first child at the crazy German Grand Prix, which was a wet, dry race. Uh, he got a second-place finish there. Gasly, um, after all the stuff he's went through, got a second-place finish at the Brazilian Grand Prix. Granted, you could make the argument that um, probably Alex Albon should have gotten that. Uh, second place, but he got dumped by Lewis. So, um, which in turn opened up the opportunity for Pierre Gasly. Uh, that team, I think, as much as anything, will be based on what Honda brings to the table. If Honda has an engine that can compete, uh, not only will the main team be good because they're on the same, they have the same engine. It's not anything different. Uh, they'll they'll be able to be up there and give a fight f- towards the uh, midfield best of the best of the rest. Now, getting into that, we go into Renault. Uh, they're already in a transition in a sense that Daniel Ricardo has announced he's going to McLaren in 2021. Uh, McLaren is also which we'll get into uh, is going to a different um, uh, engine uh, brand. So when you look at 
their driver lineup, of course, uh, Nico Hulkenberg is replaced by Frenchman Esteban Ocon. People talk about him as being way too aggressive. Uh, him and Max Verstappen have a beef, so that's kind of great for me. I like that. Um, will this be a lost season in terms of Renault? Because they've had plenty of lost seasons, honestly, based on their uh, track record since their re- most recent return. Or can they make progress with this driver pairing, which and and kind of move forward and make some gains, maybe possibly get a podium here uh, in 2020? Well, I'm not sure if it will be a lost season yet. Um, you know, we know what Ricardo can do. We've seen him be successful at Red Bull uh, for many years, and now he's. Uh, you know, now he's on Renault, and last year he didn't do so well. But I think, you know, if it's it won't be a lost season if he uh, if he wins races, but it may have the kind of feel that Juan Montoya had with uh, McLaren uh, his last year in Formula One, where it was things were kind of uh, unstable and it didn't really seem like. He was uh, getting the kind of drive that he needed for Formula One, and he ended up going going to NASCAR and, and kind of ended up just being an afterthought in his last uh, F1 season back in, I believe it was 2006. But I'm not, you know, I'm not sure how it'll end up for um, Daniel Ricciardo. Certainly, though, they've made a lot of gains uh, with their car in recent seasons. They just haven't had the... Uh, on track success yet as as for uh, Esteban Ocon uh, I think you know definitely he um, has got a lot to prove uh, in Formula One and I think he you know he as uh, I think he'll um, be someone to watch but uh, as for Renault uh, overall uh, I'm not sure um, and I don't know i don't know. I think it maybe with uh, Ricardo leaving it, uh, they might not have uh, the best results as a team overall. Uh, but we will see there. Um, maybe as the new rules and all that started to come into play, I think maybe Renault will be a little bit more successful. Uh, and the Overall, uh, it will be good if they can have better uh, results on the trip. In terms of, yeah, when you consider Renault, they've had their issues with um, performance. They've also had issues switching drivers. They had Grosjean. They've had Hulkenberg. They've had this. They've had Kevin Magnussen. They've ran through drivers, and the engine has not been good. Um, the engine seems to be in a place where um, it's not the best by any means. It's probably third uh, or third, maybe fourth out of the four engines that are out there. But they're in a position now where they can put full effort in trying to make their a team come off. Uh, when you look at the regular cars manufacturers and some of the things like you look Carlos Gosen's trying to run from the feds and so there's money issues there there's 
There's probably a lot of other legal uh, garbage that's going on that might affect their viability. Um, some of the people that run their organization, uh, Cyril Atterborough or whatever, he doesn't seem to know what the hell he's doing, which doesn't help. I'm paying Daniel Ricardo $25 million and um, he literally drove one year and a couple of weeks of like six days of testing or three days of testing and decided that going to McLaren was a better idea. So what does that really say about you as an organization when he wasn't even willing to give you a shot uh, to, to even stick around? Uh, you have to wonder. I, I it, and fun because fundamentally, Daniel Ricardo. Once you get get past the Lewis and and Sebastian Vettel being those guys that have the big hardware, and then you look at the young guns, which is everyone loves for stopping. Uh, you have uh, uh, you know, what do you call Charles Leclerc. And then you have the big three, the BFFs, you have Lando, and you have Alex, and you have George Russell, you have Alex Albon, Lando Norris. Those are all, that's the future of this sport right there. Um, In terms of Ricardo, he comes in between that. He's been up there finishing high in the world championship with Red Bull. He kind of sent Vettel on his way. And then after that kind of plateaued out to where he knew that Verstappen by the end of his time at Red Bull was the lead guy because they can only promote, they can only provide one good car, which is an F1 thing. And now he wants to go to a team where he thinks he can compete and they're going to try to do the best they can. Will McLaren be able to do that? We're going to get into that in a moment, but it's probably a good move for him to go away from Renault because they don't know where they're at and who knows what they're going to have in terms of drivers. I, I wanted to ask you this, Josh, it's like, you know, they have Zhao uh, in terms of the young drivers. They have a couple other guys in terms of young drivers. Um, we, I think it, it's probably early to say, but, I, but in terms of who, who do you think uh, we could just go out there now? Cause it doesn't matter. We haven't even gotten the start of the season. Um, who do you think? Uh, I think Ocon is signed for 21. So in terms of who do you think will they have for, they will have for um, 2021 and uh, uh, for their second driver. It's a really good question. Uh, I, you know, they could go veteran too. You never know. Um, uh, maybe they, because Fernando Alonso might yeah. kind of go back to Formula One. That's some, I don't know if that's actually a thing, but seems to be a, uh, a good, you know, a, a good rumor to follow. But I kind of doubt that would happen though, because he's getting a little up there. Um, and I don't know if he wants it, but it's certainly possible. Uh, but maybe, uh, I don't know who else could um, get up there and and put a you know a team or a, um, a car together for 
you know, I would have to assume it'd be one of their test drivers. Yeah. It would probably, I think Zhao, the Chinese driver who's running in, um, in Formula 2, I think uh, that's, I think he's um, the guy. Um, that's who I've been thinking will be the guy in 2021, but who knows? With Renault, who knows? They may not even be around. Um, it's something that we have to see. Uh, Alonso's the one that they, um, they that they're probably going to talk about as the season goes on. Uh, you know, he's been around. He's trying to win the Triple Crown. I highly doubt he's going to win the Indianapolis 500 um, this year. Uh, even with the team that he's at is a much more prepared team. It's still not as good as being at Edendretti Autosport uh, when you consider all the bridges he burned with Honda. Um, he would have to figure out a way to get in a Penske car to truly guarantee himself. And as long as Elio Castroneves is around, he's never going to be in a Penske car. So maybe he comes back uh, to Formula One. It, it might be something, but will they be willing to pay that kind of money to a guy knowing that they're not going to compete for world championships? Uh, speaking of a team that Fernando Alonso uh, was with for a long time on multiple stints, we go to McLaren. Uh, Carlos Sainz has already announced that he will be leaving uh, McLaren after a career season in 2019. Uh, he will be leaving for Ferrari to be uh, Charles Leclerc's teammate. But he will be racing with them this year. This year they will be with Renault. But in 2021, in a basically a hold year before the new cars come along, um, they will be changing to Mercedes. So that has affected some of the prep for them in terms of getting ready for this season and that they don't have a car that they can use because they don't have an engine that they can put in the car. Um I, I guess, Josh, the thing is, can will there's two pieces that I, I mentioned. Will Renault give the best stuff to their customer, knowing that they're not going to be a customer in 2021? And will they, meaning both Signs and Norris, be able to perform and take that step forward to possibly be a factor at more races than they would be, they would have been, you know, last year as a as a team on the upswing uh, to really be a factor again, what McLaren was known for for many years. Uh, I'm not sure. Uh, I would, you know, we we've seen in the past with how uh, political, uh, in a sense, Formula One is, and even within the teams, the interpolitics that go on with who's supposed to win and who, who's supposed to um, finish um, in second or wherever they finish. Uh, and we've seen in the past, you know, like different teams screwing over uh, customer teams, things like that. So to me, like I could see maybe Renault, like maybe in the beginning they'll give them the best equipment, but as time goes on throughout the rest of the season uh, that we, are, are going to have 
I think possibly that they're maybe Renault might not give them the best stuff. You know, they maybe they'll not give them. It won't be like as blatant. You know, like oh, we're just going to give you a, a junk engine and and you can have at it with that. They will probably just give them something that's maybe slightly slower, slightly underperforming compared to their own stuff. And I think maybe you'll see that later on in the season. I don't know, um, but it, if that does happen, then yes, that will uh, hurt uh, Lando Norris. It'll hurt Carlos Sainz, and maybe Formula or maybe McLaren won't take that next step, and we'll have to wait another year for McLaren to kind of. Uh, go back to where it was like it was in the early 2000s and in the 90s and the late 80s. Yeah, I mean we're 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 long they're they're not anywhere near the days of Senna and Prost and the heyday of McLaren or even before that uh you know the 70s, 80s, 90s, early 90s were definitely uh, McLaren centric. Uh, we've passed that. I mean, Hockenden brought them back in the late '90s, and then they kind of connected that into the early 2000s, keeping Kimi Raikkonen, and, and then Lewis came along to keep them relevant. Uh, but they, in terms of not only, but not just Mika Hockenden, but you count Kimi Raikkonen, Juan Pablo Montoya, Lewis Hamilton, even Fernando Alonso. Um, they all were short, and and they were all shortchanged by McLaren because of reliability, because of mistakes, um, and that probably cost them all chances at championships. Uh, and wins too. I mean, Jensen Button did a good job at McLaren. He was—he's literally the only person that I, I would. I mean, you can. Oh yeah, Nico beat Lewis, but in terms of val, like in reality, truly beating Lewis Hamilton on merit, Jensen Button's the only guy that's ever uh, beaten. Uh, Lewis Hamilton on merit as a teammate um, that that because he they had equal cars they didn't have the same they had the same issues as a, and he beat him and it's valid and it's part of what makes Jensen Button even more uh, of a, a great driver now even though it, it took a long time for him to come through and get his world championship and you can question how he got it and all that how he drove for McLaren shows what kind of driver um, Jensen Button was and when it comes to McLaren in a transitional year uh, you look at um, Zach Brown trying to manage funds and make sure they can get an influx of money maybe uh, they have a great driver pairing this year they have a great driver pairing for next year um, the mercedes engines are going to move them forward too and i have to say that for promotional purposes they're going to be in a great spot uh, moving towards 2022 where they could go and take that same step that mercedes did in 13 
where they weren't, you know, top flight team, but they qualified well, got some poles, and they won the they won a race with Lewis. That's where McLaren has to go and take their time. They this year might be a throwaway year, but it should be about putting yourself in a position to compete with new cars in 22. And that might be the thing here with these three teams, because it's possible. I I find it highly likely that um, racing point is going to make a big um, uh, step forward here uh, this season in this condensed 2020 year. And we can uh, go from formula one and talk about the races we saw at uh, Talladega. We talk about the Geico 500, which was moved to Monday because NASCAR doesn't know how to schedule races. And they put themselves right in the middle of rainstorms every week, basically. Uh, They did that at Talladega on Sunday. And they got to move on Monday which led to Ryan Blaney getting a photo finish against Ricky Stenhouse Jr. So all the Penske guys have won here in 2020, and they worked well together uh, during the race. Um, uh, You can talk about Stenhouse. Most, and Josh, you brought up a great point in terms of the most lead changes there was in in a Talladega race. Uh, since the tandem days, which were my favorite times as a fan in terms of watching Daytona and Talladega, because I'm not a fan of racing at Daytona and Talladega in general. I love the tandems. It was less about somebody going and losing their mind and wrecking half the field. Uh, you only were at the mercy of one other person. But, of course, NASCAR had to ruin that because Dale Jr. didn't like it. Um what are your thoughts, Josh, on the race on Monday, uh, the Geico 500? Yeah, first of all, I do agree with the scheduling thing. Uh, I think I would rather see NASCAR schedule races for either, you know, no long, no later than 1 o'clock p.m., and they should start at least around 12. But and we would not have uh, as much issues with the start times and rain delays as we've seen in the last few years. But anyway, though, the race itself, uh, yeah, I have to say, yeah, it was probably one of the better restrictor plate races we've seen in a long time. And and, uh, I was very impressed with the way that they were able to, because it wasn't um, purely tandem drafting. There was elements of tandem drafting, but a lot of it was just like, purely like bump drafting where the car behind would just give him a big shot uh, to the rear bumper of the car in front of them and they would just have a lot of momentum and take off and we saw we saw like Bubba using the top lane getting pushed from Kevin Harvick and making it three wide for the lead saw the Penske uh, cars with their Wood Brother Alliance ally and uh Matt DiBenedetto basically trying to monopolize the race, but uh, thankfully that got broken up, uh, and and just a lot a lot of uh, lead changes like like we said, which I thought was good and and all and and it was great to see a lot of the battling for the lead and unlike the tandems, uh, you know, because a lot of the the lead changes from the tandems were inflated with 
the you know these they would have to switch cars and put one person in the back and another one in front because the uh, pusher would often overheat and so it kind of inflated the lead changes a little bit from what they actually were but uh, it was a in terms of that it was a great race and, and you know I was just impressed that they were able to uh, bump draft each other without crashing you know we saw one highlight where. Uh, Brad Keselowski was pushing Ryan Blaney to lead, but they didn't quite align. Then Ryan Blaney basically took the lead while he was wrecking loose. Yeah, uh, that was incredible to yeah. watch. You know, Kyle Petty shout yeah. out to that's incredible. But that's incredible. Was, yeah, you would have said that. And there was a I forgot who it was, but there was a another driver that I saw going for the lead, and he was getting a push from somebody else, and they're basically hooked sideways and. And I was like, oh, they're going to crash here. It's going to happen. And they didn't crash. And, you know, they didn't go for a lead. And the, the only major incident we saw was, like, basically on the last lap and leading up to that with Jamie Johnson uh, getting spun out with uh, Kevin Harvick um, trying to – he basically took the gap. Yeah. And ended up spinning out Jamie Johnson. So th- that was a, definitely a, a good finish. But, you know, I'll turn it back to you. You know, we talked about um, the ending of the race in particular where Ryan Blaney, like, you know, the last lap, anything goes, that sort of deal. But I didn't, you know, I didn't really like Ryan Ryan Blaney, like, basically, like, blocking uh, Eric Jones into the wall. Um, You know, to me, once the car is off your front bumper or past your rear bumper, I should say, um, you really can't make a move you maybe you can side draft him and and whatnot but you know you can't blatantly uh block his path and that's kind of what i thought took place so uh and you know they did say that you know he kind of did what he had to do but you know i feel like in the last decade there's really been a, a lack of respect really on the really in nascar in general but it gets manifested at um, the most on restrictor plate tracks. I don't know what you think about that. Yeah, I mean that's it's a valid point. I mean you you look at what Paul Tracy would call the Pruitt fade, uh, something that Paul Tracy probably would do too, and was guilty of Brazilian drivers in Formula One where they have the extreme move over to the other side. Uh, Blaney was trying to play all angles, play all the lanes. It isn't as good as a couple of years ago where if you're in the lead, you can play all three lanes and get a space and nobody's going to draft by you. Um, when you got runs, you were going to get shot to the moon. And John Hunter Nemechek, you know, he drank some Death Wish coffee and he was on a heater and he was ready to go and he probably could have won that race. He probably could have, he could have used up Eric Jones, sent him to the, sent him to the infield and won that race. And, uh, it wouldn't have been shocking. Uh, but Blady went, put the big block on him, put him in the fence. Uh, they still, both ended up getting, I mean, Eric Jones got a top five. Uh, John Hunter and got a top 10, you know, Blaney gets his first win of the year. Second consecutive win at Talladega Stenhouse second, uh, another top 10 at one of his best racetracks. Eric Almirola third spinning out Danny Hamlin fourth. Uh, 
Eric Jones, fifth. Busher, sixth. Alex Bowman, seventh. John Hunter Nemechek, eighth. Kurt Busch, ninth. Kevin Harvick, who held tailback, as Rusty Walls would like to say, um, all day with Ryan Newman, who cost me a lot of money because he was a waste. Um, If he had actually tried, I could have possibly made a lot of money and um, paid off some bills. Uh, but he's no neck for a reason. Um, yeah, I mean, you you look at that race, there's a lot of leaders, there's a lot of lead changes, and you know, 56 lead changes amongst 19 drivers, so half, basically half the field led this race. I mean, you're, you, you look at, I mean, Chase Elliott didn't get the finish he deserved, uh, you know, Austin Dillon, they were up there. Um, outside of that, you know, Kyle Busch was up front. He had a fast race car. The Toyotas by themselves at these these tracks, Daytona and Talladega, are the fastest cars. Um, if they are able to work together as a, as a group, which they're obviously outnumbered, only having six or seven, I think, uh, what is it, uh, seven cars, counting Timmy Hill. If they're able to work together, those cars are so fast, they could actually dominate, and they've done that um, in some of these recent restrictor play tracks once they've uh, identified working with the teams and all that, but Hey, I, for for me, I'm not a fan of Talladega. There, that was actually not a bad race to watch. You had a photo finish. You had a good opening. Yet it was actually all right. So I, you can't complain. You go take that. You go move to Pocono, home race um, for me, and uh, we can go and look at that. I mean, who who stood out to you, Josh? And um, in terms of their performance yesterday and who surprised you in terms of what they ended up doing? Uh, I think, well, I was surprised, uh, by, I, I think I was mostly surprised by Bubba Wallace's performance actually, because I, you know, I wasn't sure how well he would do. And, you know, he ended up, Finishing 14th, which, you know, I'm not, you know, it's whatever, but, you know, he was able to challenge for the lead during the mid portions of the race. You know, he, um, you know, he was up, up in the top five towards the end, you know, then they just didn't have enough gas at the end to, to stay up there. But I, I was impressed just because like, uh, he was able to stay with the pack the whole time. And when whenever he could get runs from Kevin Harvick or whoever was behind him, I think Jimmy Johnson was at, behind him at one point. Um, he was able to really mount up a charge and go for the lead. Uh, and I was, you know, I was surprised. I mean, even Matt DiBenedetto. I mean, yeah, he's in a Penske car, but uh, you know, I didn't didn't really think much of him on the restrictor play restrictor play tracks. But you know, he ran good as well. Uh, even even guys like uh, John Hunter Nemechek, you know, like again, like we talked about, like in at, at every restrictor play track, it's it's a you know they call it the the great equalizer and gives the the guys a 
good chance to go out and go for the lead. Uh, and that's really the only opportunity that they have. Yeah, I mean, Bubba, with, with now that he has Jerry Baxter as his crew chief, when you know you look at when he was at Kyle Busch Motorsports, all of his success came with uh, Jerry Baxter as his crew chief. He's a well-known, underrated guy over the years, worked at MWR with uh, David Rudiman and other drivers. Um, he's he's a, and he was at GMS with uh, Brett Moffitt. He's he's a really solid crew chief, one of the best in the business. And they then when it comes to restrictor plate racing uh, for the RPM team, that's one of the only opportunities they really have to show themselves. Also, the short tracks, which for all the haters and all the assholes. Don't want to talk shit about Bubba Wallace. He's good at Martinsville. He always has been. And that 11th place finish, he could have gotten more, but he needed a long run. Um, or he needed a better set of tires there on that last run. And he could have gotten a better finish than that. Um, that that car, um, for all the people that hate Bubba Wallace and hate BLM, is going to be one of the highest selling cars uh, diecasts this whole year uh, based on some of the things I've seen um, on social media. I think that car is going to sell very high. Um, even the Kyle Weatherman car with his inability to explain how he came up with that and whatever seems to be very popular, even though it was kind of a lie, but that's beside the point. I mean, I, I'll go with another car that's uh, connected to RCR, and it's not as surprising, but it's cool to see is Tyler Reddick. Uh, yeah, fourth place run, fourth place run uh, at Homestead at a track that they were selling him really hard, and he won a segment for a segment he's won as a Cup driver. Um, he had a car better than twentieth. But, you know, with the pit stops and everything late, he wasn't able to make any moves. Um, he's a rookie, but he's not really a rookie in the sense that he's able to compete and show his true pace. Uh, it shows the improvement at RCR with their equipment and what they have that uh, Tyler Reddick is able to go and win a stage, um, considering where they were last year. Um, the points going into Pocono double header this weekend, Kevin Harvick, still a leader, 23 points ahead of Joey Logano. Uh, Ryan Blaney moves up to third, uh, Chase Elliott, fourth, Brad Kozlowski, fifth, Hamlin, Truex, Bowman, Kyle Busch, Kurt Busch is the top 10 in terms of the bump spot. Tyler Reddick is above by one point and that's the playoff point that he has over Eric Jones. And then there's a big gap to Austin Dillon in 18th. Uh, you would go and look at the way points are right now. I would say that uh, you can make an argument right now. There's really 21 for 16 
Bubba Wallace is right on the edge there. John Hunter Nemechek's lost some point, lost a lot of points a few weeks ago at the Darlington, I believe. And uh, he's 20 points beyond Bubba right now. Um, Chris Bell has struggled this year. Ryan Newman is still behind him. Of course, he missed three races. So, I mean, right now it's 21 for 16. Kind of shows how poor having 16 cars for the chase is. Um, If they had 12, it would still not be great, but it'd be a little bit more intriguing with um, Eric Almirola on the bump. Uh, We will see what happens. There's going to be two races at Pocono. uh, That's going to go and shift uh, some of the things that uh, we're used to here. Um, first actual cup doubleheader in a very long time. It's the same. It'll be the first time at the same location. They'd have two races in two days, but not in the same location. But we will find out and we will discuss that in more detail. We can go and talk about the Xfinity, the um, College Racing 3 Hundred, where uh, Justin Haley gets his first official win in the Xfinity series, and Ross Chastain wins the dash for cash. Um, I the one thing I wanted to ask you, Judd, I'm like the way that Colleg was looking pre uh, COVID nineteen, they weren't in a great spot, but now they've taken a real step forward. All their cars are in a much better place. Um, you know, AJ won at Atlanta and, you know, Chastain's been up there every week and now Justin Haley finally has the Xfinity win. What do you take away from the Xfinity race in general, but also about what Colleague Racing is doing? Yeah, uh, I think Colleague, you know, they, seems like they took the time off from uh, COVID, you know, they went and did their homework and figured out how to uh, do better overall as a team and it's it's just great to see how you know they teamed up together and and the camaraderie that they have over there is, is just awesome seeing and i think you know they should definitely keep aj in that uh one of those cars for a long time uh but the xfinity race you know i've it wasn't as great of the race is the cup race uh i know that the Xfinity race uh has been the uh, the restrictor play tracks have been a little bit different than uh the cup series and in some spots it's been good and other spots it hasn't but uh i don't know i wasn't it wasn't as exciting i guess as uh the cup race and i think it's largely due to the the package there which actually that package is more more favorable to bump drafting than the cup series uh with because they still have cars or bumpers that can lock together and and whatnot um but it's almost kind of like what cup was a few years ago where every car kind of had a, a bubble of air between each each car in the pack uh and that's you know they talked about it in the broadcast. I think McMurray mentioned it with uh, the beach ball effect, where that you kind of suck up to the or you get up to the car and you don't really go anywhere, but you're kind of able to push the car in front of you out out there, but you know it doesn't really come back to you and you can't reel them back in and make a move. You really gotta coordinate with the other drivers behind you and beside you to 
um, get single file and you got to make a run and you know you got to time it perfectly and it takes a little bit more discipline than the cup cars where they kind of just push each other and they're essentially driving on top of each other but uh, you know the Xfinity series um, I think they need to fix the restrictor plate package so that you know it can encourage more passing but hopefully the drivers can still respect each other yeah, I mean it's I the Xfinity package at every track I think outside of Daytona Talladega is probably the best package they have across the big three series. Uh, when you look at what they have at Daytona Talladega, it doesn't fit as well, which is ironic because you know when you have the best package at the track they run at most of the time. I guess that's what you have to deal with. Um, you have some ex, you have some inexperienced drivers there too, which is likely to have some bad bump drafting. They can't they can't connect like they can in the Cup Series, which was interesting in its own right, where the tandem worked to a point, but then they'd stall out, which was different from years past with other formats where you could actually take a real run, get out front, and and do that whole thing so i mean it's it's something that uh, the xfinity package is a lot looser um, a lot harder to drive i would say a lot less stable in the back end um, and you have inexperienced drivers too so it's probably asking for uh, trouble um, there and uh, I, 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 I think before we go and move on to Pocono, I, I wanted to go and say it's like we look at Collig and he's Matt Collig's one of the only independent owners there are in the sport that's left. And he's a new owner. And what does it say? It's like what what does it say about the product that literally we have one guy? that is trying to run a run a team i mean we could say maury gallagher but he has an airplane he he's a rich guy who knows what colleagues money or how it is investing to be the top of the to run against cup affiliated efforts and he ran daytona they ran the daytona 500 just nearly um when you look at what the where the sport is at right now josh it's like what do we have to what do we have to do to get people and owners other people to want to invest um what does it say about what matt colleague's doing to go and try to keep the sport going in a sense well i mean it shows that you know, he's able to find good business partners to sponsor his team uh we look at i think one of the sponsors they've had is a uh, leaf filter um and they've had different other different sponsors that they've kind of rotated around with uh, their teams. But he's definitely whatever business model they've used to kind of uh, fund their cars is definitely something that's worked for them in the series. Um, my in general, like I've always believed, if you make if you make the rules so that the sport is cheaper. Uh, it would encourage more more teams and more owners to invest into the sport and 
uh, have more competitive entries, and that that's truly how you measure the competitive depth of the sport is by the number of teams, the, the quality of those teams. But yeah, they, I think that with whatever colleagues been able to do, they've you know they've definitely you know, they they don't have like star star drivers in the Xfinity series. They're by no means they're not quite on the level of like Penske or JRM. They don't have necessarily the big names besides uh, Ross Chastain, who's kind of made a, you know, he's kind of done it his own way uh, besides that. But, uh, you know, and AJ, but AJ's more of a um, kind of more of the lines of somebody who's falling or kind of going back to um, uh, not an easier series, but, you know, he's, doing something that's more manageable for him. And then Justin Haley is also kind of growing in the sport, but he's, um, you know, he's not quite, quite of a star as the other guys in the Xfinity series. Uh, so I think for what kind of, I guess, whatever their budget is, they've, they've been able to maximize uh, that, that ability yeah, it's, when when you look at a team that is trying to build it from the ground level, it doesn't exist anymore. Uh, you had drivers trying to go uh, in the mid-90s, trying to own their own teams. It goes all the way back. Uh, Brock Beard mentioned it on um, his blog and on his YouTube page about how Terry Labonte was thinking about going and running his own team back in the late 80s, early 90s, you know, and then Daryl Waltrip famously um, ended himself really in a sense and left Hendrick to go and and run his own team. Um, You know, Bill Elliott, Ricky Rudd both did that. I think Dale Jarrett thought about it and then got in a Robert Yates team and sucked into 28 and somehow or another got a better ride out of it, which I'll, I'll never understand till the end of time um, as a 28 fan. I mean, it's, it's a thing to where you have independent people with money trying to make it in this sport. It doesn't exist anymore. And so for the guys like Matt colleague, you have to keep them around and you have to make it monetarily and financially sound. Because if you lose them, if you lose him, outside of Tony Stewart, you know, there's really no owners that are relatively young um, in this sport. And you have, you're going to have issues with um, keeping the sport going in a fundamentally sound manner. Um, that's That's the issue there is. And speaking of fundamentally sound and trying to run uh, a competitive race as the ARCA race on Saturday might have been one of the worst things I've ever saw in my life. There's 21 cars that started. Um, they, I think they had three starting parks. They had half, I think, of the three, and then out of the 18 cars that were left, I think half of them were not even competitive. So then you take that, after that you have like nine cars left, uh, you had a couple of them that had motor problems because of the crappy Ilmore 396. It was a Tanner Gray 
and Gus Dean both had uh, electrical um, computer software issues. And then that left it to seven cars. And then you look at what ended up happening there. What is it? Uh, dollar, Drew Dollar, Daddy's Money, um, ends up winning his first career race in a race where there was really, and, and of course, Riley Herbst tried to go and wreck uh, Michael Self because, you know, it's Riley Herbst. Um, I mean, that's a, I think that's about all you can say about that. I mean, minus fact, Dave Reef sucks at life um, announcing and Katie Osborne did not have her best day uh, behind the mic by any means. I'll give credit to Todd Bodine and Matt Crafton and what they did on uh, Saturday, trying to make the most of um, that that cluster that they had at Talladega. I, I hope NASCAR and all of them understand that running a an ARCA race with 21 cars instead of 40 plus like they used to when they had the Gen 4 cars with the Lobster. Um, bodies, even with the uncompetitive cars that they may have had, is still a better look than what they have with these composite cars, with these crappy engines. They can't make runs on each other. They can't pass anybody. Um, it's 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 a joke. Um, and I don't know how Arca somehow or another makes it um, makes it through this pandemic. They've already had problems trying to make it through with uh, field size, and I don't think it's going to get any better as we go into uh, 2021. Um, going to Pocono uh, this weekend, there's going to be five races. You have ARCA on Friday afternoon, then you're going to have a truck and a cup race on Saturday, and then an Xfinity and a cup race on Sunday. Uh, I wanted to ask you, Josh, we can go uh, hit the uh, truck series first, the Pocono Organics 150. Who do you uh, look for as a, as a win and a um, long shot in the Pocono uh, in the yeah. in the truck series race so i uh, you know i'm gonna go this this is a long shot maybe in general but i'm gonna go with tyler ankrum you know, he finished second last year you know he was driving for david gillen a year ago but you know i think you know he can definitely you know, we've seen him win already last year and i def- definitely think he can wheel it um as as for a, a long shot i'm gonna go uh, uh it's tough to say because i i feel like that that is kind of a long shot but uh um i think maybe for a long shot we'll go with stuart friesen how about it yeah that's i mean the way that stuart friesen's run this year it would be uh, a long shot relative to what he was doing when he drove for um, for in a GMS truck. He was a way better 
um, now running what is theoretically his own stuff. Um, it's interesting that they've fallen backwards as far as they have getting Kyle Busch equipment. Um, that's something. Uh, I, I'll say I picked them on Talking in Circles last night. Um, they're on Apple uh, Podcasts as well as ours, the GSP. We're on Apple Podcasts. But um, I said, uh, based on last year, based on what Nice Motorsports did with Ross Chastain, I'm going to go out there and say Ty Majeski. I think Ty Majeski is due. After all the bad luck that he has had uh, this year, uh, he's he's due to have something good happen. And so I believe he's going to go out there and he's going to finally get his first uh, win here in uh, 2020 and get themselves solidly into a truck playoff that is very difficult to get into, even though there's 10 drivers compared to eight previously. Um, I say Ty Majeski. And in terms of a wild card pick, I'm going to go Todd Gilliland. You look at the front row slash uh, DGR Crosley team. They are not as good as they were last year. I think probably an experience, lack of time and all that. Um, But Todd Gilliland uh, has won a truck race. Uh, That's a team that has shown some performance post-COVID-19 return. That would be an idea here um, on uh, Saturday afternoon uh, in uh, terms of who can win in um, on the Pocono Organics 150. Uh, going towards the Xfinity race, which will be on uh, Sunday afternoon, uh, who do you look for, Josh, as a favorite? And um, we go as a long shot there. Uh, I think going to go more status quo here and say that probably somebody like Chase Briscoe, you know, he's definitely been the, the class of the field so far this year in the Xfinity Series. And I think he'll continue that. Uh, I think Pocono is kind of fits his driving style. And I think... You know, with the way Pocono is, with the long straights and the flat corners, uh, there's going to be a lot of opportunity for side drafting down the front straightaway and even down Long Pond Straight and even in into the corners and whatnot. And I think that I think he, you know, with the way he has his driving style, I think it kind of suits him at least going to the corners. And he's definitely a hard charger, so. That's who I pick for Sunday. And maybe as a long shot, I would maybe say somebody like uh, Brandon Jones might be a long shot. Although he has done well, but he doesn't seem like the kind of guy that could go out and get Pocono. Yeah, I mean, it fits. Those are both great picks and has a Chase Briscoe mark. Um, I would sign for that on Sunday afternoon, no matter what happens either day on the Cup Series side. Uh, you, you never know with the way strategy can be at Pocono, even with the stupid stages. Um, 
but you know the Stuart Oscars have been good there in the Xfinity program, and I think it's a track that fits Chase Briscoe's driving style, um, and that's something that's definitely valid. And I would say that he would be up front. I I said this last night as well on. Um, talking in circles that it's going to be the big three. I, I fundamentally, um, they have a big three. Now you have Chase Briscoe, you have Harrison Burton, Noah Gregson. It's going to be between those three guys. Noah Gregson had some sort of quote allergy or medical issue a couple of years ago. Um, and he couldn't race at, uh, Dor- at uh, um, Pocono. He missed a race in the 18 truck. Um, Wonder what that was about. I think Denny Hamlin knows something about that. But um, he'll be there on Sunday. And um, he, I I figure that it's going to come down to one of those guys. Gibbs have always um, been good there. Um, And it's something we'll talk about here in a moment in terms of the Cup Series. Um, I'll, I'll go out. I mean, I don't want to full on be a Mark and say, Chase, I'll go with Harrison Burton. Um, that's, that's the, that's the pick to win. He's very good in these cars. Uh, Pocono fits his driving style in terms of being more finesse. Uh, you need more finesse to be around it, even though his father never won there. Um, that's that too. I rem- that I remember um, that that it fits more of Harrison's driving style. Uh, in terms of a wild card pick, I would go and I I mean you could debate it being a wild card pick. Um, new dad Daniel Hemrick. Uh, you you look at what um, what. Uh, uh, Jeb Burton's done in a couple of races in that car. He's been up front, albeit plate tracks. And, uh, you know, uh, Hemrick's been up front recently after he kind of had like a little pep talk and all that. I think that eight cars do. It'd be a nice thing for uh, Daniel Hemrick to finally get that win in that uh, eight car for junior motorsports. I think we can go and look at We'll go and look at this last portion here. The two cup races will be 325-mile cup race on Saturday, 350-mile cup race on Sunday. Uh, they will invert. I'm, I'm not exactly sure how the invert works, if they're doing the top 20 or if it's on the lead lap. The original announcement way back when was everybody on the lead lap will be inverted for Sunday um, I've heard that they'll invert the top 20 and um, for Sunday, but I, I guess in in terms of what do you what do you think? I mean, it's 550 rules package, so you have to take that into account. Um, lack of horsepower. What do you look for, Josh, in terms of these races here? These double header at Pocono Raceway for the Cup Series. Yeah, I mean, with Pocono, the 550 rules package kind of killed the uh, the racing there at Pocono because Pocono uh, has, I don't know why, in the 2000s and um, you know the 2010s, Pocono has 
been kind of a had kind of a negative uh, view on the or negatively viewed by the fans because the racing gets often gets uh, too strung out and it's uh, pretty boring to watch and the uh, laps uh, can almost last up to a minute and all that but you know Pocono is very very unique track and there's a lot of strategy uh, and we've seen Pocono be a very good it, there had some very good races in uh, the mid 2010s um, but now with uh, and even the last couple of years up to the 550 package but you know now with the 550 package it's nah hasn't been been that great but uh, I think with the racing that we've seen uh, this year and um, since the pandemic and you know last week we had Denny Hamlin go out and dominate flat out dominate at a uh, uh, homestead I would actually look for any of the Gibbs cars to compete on Sunday whether that's uh, Bubba Wall or sorry that's um, uh, Denny Hamlin or Kyle Busch, I would pick one of those guys. And maybe a dark horse would be uh, Eric Jones. Uh, he, you know, he finished well in both of the Pocono races last year. But one other thing I want to talk about with Pocono is, you know, we, his, historically speaking, or at least, you know, since I've been watching the sport, Pocono was always a, a fuel mileage uh, race. And I think with the change that they made going to the doubleheader with the 325-mile race and the 350-mile race, I think uh, we may not see that be a factor, and and that's uh, kind of disheartening to see because there's always been the suspense of going to Pocono and and seeing if you can make your car last on the final full, uh, fuel run, and it's always interesting to see like who, who would drop out at the end and who would save enough gas and. There's definitely been an uh, exciting share of fuel mileage races that we've seen over the years from Pocono, and I feel like maybe we won't see it this year with with uh, the distance change and the double hitter. So um, that's kind of what I think. Yeah, I, I totally agree, and I said that too last night about Gibbs. They've been out there the last few years uh, out front, Jones has been a good driver at Pocono, no matter what vehicle he's been in uh, at at that racetrack. Kyle Busch has, for a while, never won there, and then in recent years has been able to find his way to victory lane. Martin Truex uh, very famously won his third career cup race with Cole Perrin uh, in the Furniture Row Chevy in 15. That was a great moment being there with him, seeing him win and uh, with old friends and all that. Um, the best race that I think I saw there was when Ryan Blaney took his first career win with the Wood Brothers, which is uh, win number 99 for the organization there. And they still haven't won a race since. Uh, beat Kyle Busch, beat Kevin Harvick they're late in that race and that was a much lower rule aero package with more horsepower much looser car and so that that's not what we're going to see these next uh, in these two days the hope is even though they don't have fuel mileage even though it's shorter stages 
that in the fact that stages takes away the strategy aspect of it in a sense that they're going to have to go hard, which means there's more likelihood of being closer racing. My fear is because of what the racetrack has always been and what this rule package is about, that it's going to be very strung out like what Josh said. Um, I, I would say that it's going to be a Gibbs benefit. I think Kyle Busch gets his first win of 2020. He might sweep the weekend. I kind of feel like he's going to sweep the weekend. I don't know why I do, but I, I, it makes me sick. But I think that's what's going to happen. Uh, I do believe it's going to be a Toyota benefit. Uh, the shorter races, I think, do fit in their favor relative to the Chevys and the Fords. Though I wouldn't be surprised if uh, some of those major teams with both Chevy and Ford are able to give Gibbs the uh, business. Uh, Josh, uh, before we go, I wanted to ask you, do you have anything uh, you wanted to say going out, anything you want to promote, your, your socials, anything like that? I mean, yeah, I guess I should. Uh, I got to promote myself more, but yes, my... My Twitter is called at Sailor 2 That's Y O U S A L S A I L O R number two. Uh, I'm going to change it soon because it's kind of it is a little weird. But I need it to maybe be a little bit easier for other people to see, so I'll probably change it soon. But uh, you can follow me there. Um, but well, I just messaged you about it earlier. But Bubba. Wallace is now on Don Lemon on CNN, and I'm going to watch it after we're done with this. And Or, well, I well, was trying to watch it, but I'm going to have to back and listen to it because it's kind of hard to follow when you're just watching the uh, the subtitles on live TV because um, those are always trailing uh, what they say since they can't capture the words in real time and show it at the same time as they're talking, obviously. But I'm going to have to go back and listen to that. Um and I'll be curious to see what his reaction is to that. Uh, but hopefully we can maybe talk more about racing going forward. It's interesting um, how this year in NASCAR has really been the year of social justice and racial uh, justice, you know. And, I mean, it's not really their fault, so to say, but so to speak. But, you know, we talked about with Kyle Larson's deal that he's – went through now this with Bubba. It's been very interesting to see how this turned out. Yeah, it's it's convenient how they use uh, drivers as uh, basically uh, chess pieces and um, they're willing to sell them out for their own uh, betterment. And when it's somebody that you like, it's it bothers you. And when you've been in this sport or you've been into this sport for a long time, and when you're talking about human beings and you're talking about real people, um, it, it says a lot about where the sport really is. And I don't know if they're really trying to go and uh, do the right thing. I'm at Philip G. Matthew on Twitter, and uh, this show will be posted over there. We're on Apple. Uh, iTunes, we're on there with uh, the Grip Strip Podcast. We're also on Podbean. Um, my Facebook, facebook.com slash Philip G. Matthew. And um, I'm also on Instagram, Philip G. Matthew uh, 28, I believe, on Instagram. Um, if not, whatever. I'm on Philip G. Matthew 
uh, on Twitter, and that's where I am most of the time. Don't spend as much time on Facebook. And uh, you could find both Josh and I, and you can also find our guest uh, tonight, uh, Chuck Ellison, Safe Stock Car Racing. Um, there, uh, he can find him there. He's on Facebook. He's on other avenues. And um, he's got a lot of uh, knowledge, background on the original, the way the sport started. And so appreciate him being on. Uh, thank you, Josh, as always. Um, we will be on next week. We'll finish the Formula One preview leading up to the Austrian Grand Prix, the first race of the 2020 a Formula One World Championship. The IndyCar Series will be back with the Indy Grand Prix, double header with the Xfinity uh, road course race at Indianapolis leading to on July the 4th, leading to the Brickyard 400. So we'll have plenty to talk about in terms of previews, and we'll also be able to review Pocono Raceway and any other news that comes up here. And this next week, we thank you for listening to the Gripshire podcast. Uh, Have a good day, good night, or whenever you listen to it. Take care.